0: Acts 19. And I want to start with a riddle for you. It's the perfect story. You know, um, one of the things we're going to see in today's study is uh, direction, protection, and perfection. Some of you guys take notes and you might want to write those things down. I always pray these things for my family. Direction, protection, protection. And perfection. And we'll talk about what that means. But this story right here talks about a perfect man who met a perfect woman. And after a perfect courtship, they had a perfect wedding. Their life together was, of course, perfect. One snowy, stormy Christmas Eve, this perfect couple was driving along a winding road when they noticed someone at the roadside in distress. Being the perfect couple, they stopped to help. And there stood Santa Claus with a huge bundle of toys. Not wanting to disappoint any children on the eve of Christmas, the perfect couple loaded Santa and his toys into their vehicle. Soon they were driving along, delivering the toys, and unfortunately the driving conditions deteriorated and the perfect couple and Santa Claus had an accident. So here's the thing, here's the riddle. Only one of them survived. Which one was it? I'll tell you at the end of today's study, okay? <laughs> because we're going to see it kind of goes hand in hand with this study. As today we look at protection and, and direction, a better way probably to outline it would be this way. Number one, there is the urgency of organization. We're going to see that today. There's an urgency of organization. And then number two, there is the reality of opposition. When we're talking about the church, and we're talking about the flock, and we're talking about the family, it cannot be sloppy agape. There has to be an urgency of organization because that's what we read. Look in verse 21 of Acts 19. Remember, we pick it up, Paul, and the great work God's doing in Ephesus, and man, the word's going out to the whole area, and it's just amazing what's happening there. And so we read in verse 21 And about that time, there arose a great commotion about the way. For a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Diana, brought no small profit to the craftsmen. And he called them together with the workers of similar occupation and said, Men, you know we have our prosperity by this trade. Moreover, you see and hear that not only at Ephesus, but throughout almost all Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away many people, saying that they are not gods which are made with hands. So not only is this trade of ours in danger of falling in disrepute, but also the temple of the great goddess Diana may be despised and her magnificence destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worship. Now, that's the opposition. I think I started in the wrong spot. Verse 21 is this very we go. When these things, (laughs) I'm just testing you guys to see if you're awake, okay? Here we go. When these things were accomplished, okay, when that whole thing happened there in Ephesus, notice Paul purposed in his spirit when he passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem, saying, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. So he sent into Macedonia two of those who ministered to him, Timothy and Erastus, but he himself stayed in Asia for a time. Now one of the cool things we like to do here at Calvary Chapel is just teach the Bible, you know, and so... You know, sometimes you come across places and if it were up to you and if it were up to us just teaching topical studies, we probably wouldn't cover this stuff. But then when you do begin to dig in and you do begin to study it, you glean things that are so important in life. And in verses 21 and 22, we see the urgency of organization. And I'll I'll tell it to you like like this, if I can, because I want to be helpful. I want to be practical, okay? Okay. Uh, Our life has a, God has a plan for our life. Do you believe that? Okay, so we need to discover that plan by praying. We need to have what's called prayerful planning that lines up with God's plan. And we need to do that prayer and seek God in order to reach the God-given goals before us. And so we see in verses 21 and 22 that that Paul had plans. And we're gonna see This, if you want to write down these four things, it might be helpful. Number one, location. I'm going to go here and I'm going to go there. I'm going to go visit the church in Philippi and Ephesus. I'm here in Thessalonica, Corinth, Berea. He's going to go to Europe, he's going to go to Greece, and eventually he's going to go to Jerusalem. He had a plan regarding location. Okay, he had a plan regarding uh, donation. Because as he's going to all these cities, you read First Corinthians 16, actually you can read the whole letter of 1 Corinthians, and what you'll find is that he is picking up uh, benevolence, he's picking up donations, charity, because there are poor saints in Jerusalem. Okay, he never asked for money for himself, never. We don't do that where God guides, God provides. But sometimes there are those out there, like we go to Cambodia, we go to Nepal, sometimes Mexico. We go and we see people that are poor. Now for that, Paul says, I have no problem saying, hey, here's an opportunity for you to give. And so he was organized in location. He was organized in donation. He was organized in delegation, he had these guys, Erastus and Timothy, and just a whole team of guys that he said, hey, I want you to go there. I want you to do this. It was an amazing thing. I mean, it, it wasn't just sloppy agape, man. It, was, it wasn't it was random. That's dumb. No, it was organization. There was this plan that God had for Paul's life, and, and so he had these God-given goals. There was... All these things, location, the, you know, looking at the donation, looking at all these things. You know, the, and, then, and then finally, the, the declaration, because when you read the, the book of Romans, he said, I want to go there, and I want to preach. I want to preach the gospel. I want to teach the word. It wasn't flippant. It wasn't random. Homeboy had a plan. And we need to learn from this. We see it in verse 21 and 22 and and these goals that we have, you guys. Do you have any plans? Do you have any goals? Is there anywhere you want to go? Is there anything that you know that God has called you to do? What is it? Do you ever write it down? Do you ever think about it? Even when Paul was traveling, we see in this missionary journey and he ends up in Corinth that's when he writes the letter to the Romans and he says, hey, one day I want to go and visit you. Or I want to go share the word with you. So, so these goals that we have in life, they should be verbalized. These goals that we should have in life, they, sh- they should even be written down. Do you have any goals? You know, some of you are thinking, well, no, I'm kind of old. Hey, listen, Paul here is pushing 60 years old, but he's still pushing himself. Have you guys learned this? Because I'm 51 now. I'm 51 years old, and I'm not even in prime time yet. Have you guys learned that? You know, I mean, I'm serious. I feel like finally things are are coming together. I'm learning a few things by the grace of God. I've learned His Word. I've made some mistakes. I've got some experiences, and I've got some friends, and I feel like... You know, um, I'm, 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 I'm ready, Lord. And and I don't know if it'll ever change. Some of you guys are in your 60s. Some of you guys are in your 70s. Maybe you're thinking the same thing. Well, it doesn't matter how old you are or how young you are. Push yourself the way that Paul did. You know, we read right here in verse 21, when these things were accomplished, Paul purposed in the Spirit that when he was going to you know, go here. I mean, when these things were accomplished, What if we read something different like this? Like, what if it said, when these things were accomplished, Paul sat back and said, what a great work God has done. I'm done. I'm spent. I'm content. God, you've given me my desire, and now it's time for me to retire. There are some people like that. You know, he's close to 60 years old. He could have easily handed over to the younger guys, but no, Paul had purpose, we read that there in verse 21, he purposed in the Spirit. He decided to go to Jerusalem, but first he would go to these other regions and visit these other churches. Paul, in every missionary journey, it got longer, you know, two years, three years, four years. This last one was over 3,300 miles. He had goals, he had great goals to take the gospel to Europe, to take the gospel to Rome. Do, you have any, do we have any goals? You know, Paul may have been older, but he wasn't colder. He still had goals he was shooting for. For him, it wasn't about the American dream; it was about the Christian dream—to to know God and to make Him go, God known and to follow God every step of the way, all the way home. You know, when we're here's the thing: when we're sensitive to the Holy Spirit, He makes things clear and He gives us goals things to do, people to see, right, places to go. And, and I personally believe that there are plans, there are blueprints for our lives, divinely drafted before we were born. Not only do we need to stick to God's plan, but we need to plan God's plan. That's what we need to do. That's what Paul did. That's what he's doing here. He's making some pretty big plans, and they're not just his desires. They're inspired By the Holy Spirit. And that's why the Bible said Paul purposed in the Spirit. He's going to end up in Jerusalem, but along the way he's going to hit these other places because God has shown him the divine details of his own destiny. And so we have to ask ourselves, and I need to ask you, I mean, do you have any plans for your life other than dying? You're like, well, yeah, I'm going to die. Yeah. I'm going to retire. Yeah, is that it? I mean, what, what are the God-given goals for your life? Things God's called you to do, you know, and places to go, people to see. Do you have any dreams or direction about your future? Have you even prayed about it? You know, Paul, Paul talked about planning in, in 2 Corinthians one seventeen. Therefore, when I was planning this, did I do it lightly? And of course, we know he didn't. Paul prayed and he planned and he didn't do it lightly. It wasn't done in humanity. It wasn't done flippantly. He knew he had a big God and therefore he had big dreams. And he said, after Jerusalem, I must visit Rome. He wanted to go to Rome to see the Colosseum, right? Wrong. <laughs> he wanted to go to the to Rome to, to visit the Romans and And share the word with the Romans. That's why he wanted to go to Rome. You know, I I just pray that we would have goals. That we would have great goals. Um, It was William Carey. And I love the story of this guy, William Carey. He was the father of modern missions. Think about that. Prior to this young man coming on the scene, you know, uh, prior to him, there was nothing about overseas missions. The church had gotten old, it had gotten cold. And so one day he goes in, in front of the missions board, he's newly ordained pastor, he's a young man, and, and he says to them, I want to do missions work. And, 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 they, and you know what they told him? They said, sit down. They basically said, sit down and shut up. If God wants to save the heathen, he doesn't need your help. But thank God, William Carey did not sit down, and he did not shut up. And as he, it's amazing, his story, you guys got to read, William Carey. Man, talk about an appropriate last name. He cared. William Carey cared for the lost. And so when you read his story, it's amazing. You know, he he gets married, um, uh, great wife, two-year-old daughter dies, having a lot of financial problems. But he believes that God's called him to be a missionary. And so he teaches himself Greek and Hebrew and Latin. And eventually what he does is he organizes a missions group. And and eventually what he does is he goes to India with his three sons. And it's not easy. But what he does when he organizes this missions group... In the very first sermon that he ever taught to this missions group, in the very first sermon, he said this. He said, expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. Expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. And so as a result of that, he goes to India. And it's not easy, let me tell you. You know, it's tough. He's there seven years, no converts. Finally, one guy gets saved. And then what he does in India is he translates the Bible into all of their major dialects and over 200 of their minor dialects. I mean, this guy did such an amazing work there. By the time he died, there weren't necessarily a a lot of converts, uh, relatively speaking, some might say um, that's not a lot. There were only 700 Christians that he baptized over 41 years of ministry. But what he did in his movement, he's mainly known because of the fact that through his example, he inspired others. He inspired others to, to go to China, there's Hudson Taylor. To go to Africa, there's David Livingston. And they all, they all caught the vision to expect great things from God and to attempt great things for God. And I have a feeling that William Carey got his, his, his word, his, his motivation from someone like Paul the Apostle. You know, it's cool what God's done in Ephesus. The word has gone out. It's so amazing. But I want to go to Rome. Rome. And then eventually when he's writing to the Romans, you know what he tells them? I want to go to Spain. And so when what we see going on here is not sloppy agape. What we got is a guy here with an urgency for organization. You know, Paul agonized for the lost and therefore he organized for the lost. Not only in his travel goals, it wasn't just about location, it was also about donation and delegation and declaration. It was all about what God would do through this man and and the ministers that God brought to his side, Timothy and Erastus. You know, Timothy was his right-hand man, and he was a good representative of Paul, and Paul was a good representative of Christ, and Erastus was a city treasurer in Corinth, according to Romans 16.23. And so you guys know the, the story, how he would bring the donations to Jerusalem every time he would go there. And so divine direction requires that we're spirit-led people with plans and purposes that we agonize to organize. You got to pray and you got to ask God for plans. You know, some people don't like what they call, have you guys ever heard this? I don't like organized religion. Have you guys ever heard that? I guess they like disorganized religion. You know, it's kind of weird. I mean, and yet anyone would acknowledge, if they're honest, the importance of organization. They say science is organized knowledge and wisdom is an organized life. Even LeBron James, he said this, I never knew I had talent until... It's not just random. It's not just shooting from the hips. It's us getting on our knees and praying and asking God for his plan for our life, so we can plan it out ourselves. Very important for us to be organized. You know, I, I was reading a, a strip, a um, peanut strip, and I, don't, I think I shared with you guys before in this, uh, in this little uh, lesson, Lucy demanded that Linus change the television. She came into the room and she said, change that television. And so Linus said, what makes you think you can walk right in here and take over? And Lucy said, these five fingers. Individually, she said, they're nothing, but when I curl them together like this into a single unit, they form a weapon that is terrible to behold. To which Linus responded, Which channel would you like, sister? (laughs) And and then Linus looked at his own hands and he said to them, Why can't you guys get organized like that? (laughs) You guys know, huh? I'm not messing around. Are you just living life and it's just unfolding before you flippantly? Or have you gotten down on your knees and asked God for his marching orders? Paul, right here, is not sloppy agape. He is a man with a mission and he knows that he needs to be organized. And I think for us it's so important to understand the urgency of organization and then the second part is the reality of opposition. You know it seems that wherever Paul went he was the instrument of either riot or revival or both, right? And we see that vividly here in Ephesus what an impact this man had on the city. And do you guys know that you have uh, opposition? Are you guys uh, cognizant of that? Are you aware of that? You know, um, maybe it's not the same as Paul's, you know, but there is some aspect of opposition. Especially when we're making an impact, the enemy will oppose us if we are. And we read here in verses 23 through 27 when I was testing you guys earlier. (laughs) that there was this great commotion going on, right? It was a great disturbance. We see it there in verse 23, and it really was. It was great hate that the enemy had for Paul. A riot was about to break out, and it says it was because of the way. Notice again there in verse 23, and about that time there arose a great commotion about the way. You know, and if you're not talking about the way you're not going to experience opposition and life might be smooth sailing all the way to hell because you're not talking about the way. You know, you're, The way was a, an early description of, of Christianity. That's how they first called it. And you read that in Acts 9, in Acts 16, in Acts 18, in Acts 24. You read it over and over again. This is the way to live life. This is the way to find life. And you share the word of God And so because of the way, you know, you're sharing the Son of God who is the way. Jesus said in John 14, 6, right? I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And I love wearing that t-shirt when I go to work out at the gym, nor is there salvation in any other. for There's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And a lot of people don't like that t-shirt, but that's the truth. And so when you're, when you're sharing the way, when you're sharing the, the way of life, the way to find life, when you're sharing Jesus, you're going to experience opposition. And it's a good thing. That's why wherever Paul went, there was either a riot or a revival or both. And you might be here today and thinking, well, I don't have any problem. Everybody likes me at work. Well, maybe there's a problem there. Maybe you need to start you know, speaking up a little bit. Maybe you need to start sharing the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe you need to start inviting people to church. Do you ever do that? Don't be afraid. Don't be ashamed. That that was Paul's life. Like William Carey, he cared. And so right here, it's making an impact because of the way And what we find is the devil then raises up Demetrius because he doesn't like people like Paul who make a difference. And so this silversmith, he made silver idols of the Greek goddess Diana. And he, along with other businessmen, made big bucks in the sale of those shrines. And so Demetrius calls the guys together and he says, hey, you guys know sales are way down. And it's all because of the way this guy Paul preaches He's turned many people away saying that handmade gods aren't really gods at all. We read that in verse 26. And so, you know, God working through this surrendered preacher was hitting them where it hurts in their riches and in their religion. And when when we look at this right here, we see what a difference Paul and the men and the women who served with him made in verse 10, we saw in this chapter, notice again in verse 10, Acts 19, and this continued for two years as he's teaching, so that all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks, right? What a difference. Now, Demetrius says throughout almost all Asia, this Paul persuaded and turned many people from death to life, from the lie of polytheism to monotheism, to the, you know, the, from the lie that says there's many gods, there's only one God, that idols are idolatry and nothing more than silver statues. They're just a piece of meaningless metal that God is not found in a statue that we see, but he's everywhere invisibly. He was sharing the truth. If you worship Diana, you'll die. He was telling them the truth, that Jesus is the way to life. And his teaching was reaching people in such a way that the stock market fell in Asia and Demetrius and all these dudes were losing dollars, right? And, and you wonder how was Paul able to make such an impact economically and spiritually and it was simply by the teaching of the word of God. He was there for two years and then you add another year on, three years he didn't shun to declare to them the full counsel of God. And what was going on is the truth went forward day after day and converts carried the message to the lost people in the city and more and more were converted and there were fewer and fewer customers who bought or bowed down to those idols. You know, I remember reading about the Welsh revival in 1901 It happened under the leadership of a man named Robert Murray McShane. So great was the revival that every bar went broke. You see, and that's what we should want in our heart. You know, not just a Christianity that makes me comfortable. And praise God, you know, I want my my family to know the Lord. And they are the priority there. But there is a mission to reach the world. You know, when, when I, I was so blessed to see the guys come out on, on Saturday, you know, there was, I think, five or six people that came to go, you know, street witnessing and, and share the Lord, you know, with the people of Almighty invite them out to the harvest thing. But, man, I was thinking, Lord, wouldn't it be so cool if we had 100 people here? You know, because they understood that, you know, we need to reach the lost. You know, that was Paul's mentality, and I believe with all my heart that Paul the Apostle is not just for the Pope or some specific pastor of the age. He's a model for all Christians, that we should all catch that fire, when we should all have that desire, and so husbands might go and wives will let them go because they all know the gospel, and they know the importance of it. You know, I think that when you look at that Welsh revival, it's so interesting You know, Murray McShane, he didn't necessarily preach against pubs. He didn't teach against taverns, per se. People simply lost their interest in alcohol when they got saved and came under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And that's what happened in Ephesus as well. You see, when people get saved and sanctified and experience the living God, then the dead gods don't have much of an attraction any longer. And that's what happened there. You know, verse 27 tells us that they were kind of worried about, you know, the goddess Diana, that she might be despised. And it's kind of a bummer that when you think about it, that a god can be stripped of her magnificence. Why would men have to run to her rescue if she was really a god? And of course, we know the answer is that she wasn't a god. And so you're going to experience that opposition Uh, When we're making an impact, the enemy will accuse and the enemy will confuse, which is what we read next in verse 28. Now, when they heard this, they were full of wrath and cried out, saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. So the whole city was filled with confusion and rushed into the theater with one accord, having seized Gaius and Aristarchus, macedonians paul's travel companions i mean i know it sounds kind of weird you know but when was the last time you made somebody mad you know for a good reason you know what i'm saying i'll never forget one time i was doing a little teaching right there at the the, the mobile home park and the lady came up and she just got in my face and i think she wanted to sock me man and at Sam's Club, and you go into different places, I've had opportunities to share, and you know, of course you check your heart, but if it's just for preaching the gospel, and someone gets mad, man, it's a good thing, these guys were so furious, they were so angry with what was going on, it was rage, it was anger boiled over, they had it in their hearts that some heads were going to roll, and, and when you think about the opposition, it wasn't just a few fellas, it was the whole city. And we know that they go into this amphitheater right here, and that's amphitheater, it seats 24,000, 25,000 people. And we all know the danger of that when a mob rules, right? Benjamin Franklin said that a mob is a monster with many heads and no brains. You know, and I think even of this whole Supreme Court nomination and and confirmation circus. How crazy that was. You know what? They can accuse, and they can confuse, and they did. And I don't know all the details. God knows all the details. God's on the throne, but let me tell you something. God can't lose. And that to me, that gives us peace. But I want the enemy to come after me. Not that I'm asking for it, but if it means it's because I'm doing the right thing, then so be it. You know, the enemy is the author of confusion. It's not God, according to 1 Corinthians 14, 33, And James 3, 15 through 16, it says the same thing, that, that confusion is demonic and it's evil. And that's what was going on there. Demetrius was under the influence of the devil who just wanted to shut Paul up. And, and and let me just ask you a question because here, I don't know if you guys will ever start a riot. I think that would be really cool if you did one day. But you know, here's the thing that I was thinking about and I was asking the Lord, well, how does it really apply to us? How does the enemy oppose you? How does the devil oppose you? You know, sometimes I get angry and some guys, they struggle with angry, anger. I don't know if any of you guys do, um, but you put a D in front of that word, and it means danger, huh? Any of you guys struggle with anger? It could be pride. It could be lust. All I know is this. You know, any any good, you know, baseball batter, and we're seeing it now in the playoffs, you know, and I'm wearing my Dr. Blue today for a reason, you know. But, <laughs> you know, it's interesting when you watch these games how those batters know All the the pitches that that pitcher throws, they know when he's going to throw a curve, when he's going to throw a sinker, when he's going to throw a fastball. They know the location of that guy, And and those pitchers, they know that batter. They know his swing pattern. It's amazing how they study the enemy and how a lot of times we don't, and we get floored by him, defeated by the devil, because we don't realize that this is not a a, a war against flesh and blood. It's not Demetrius. It's not those dudes. It's the devil. That's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians, I think it's 1532, that when I was in Ephesus, I fought against beasts. And then in 1 Corinthians 16.9, but I'm going to stay here because a great and effective door is open to me, even though there are many adversaries. It's a, it's a spiritual battle that we're in. And we have to know, number one, the urgency of organization, because notice he's organized. They run into that theater with one accord. But we also have to know the reality of opposition. You know, as some of you guys hear the devil comes in and he's a he's a he's a devourer. You know, he gets violent. But most of the time, he comes in as a slithering snake. He's a deceiver. And you want to know what he does to you? He puts you to sleep. I, I, this breaks my heart to see how some people, man, they just don't have a fire for God. They got one foot in the church and one foot in the world. And it's the devil. Because he comes either as a lion or as a slithering snake. I pray that we would look at this and we realize, well, there's a spiritual battle here, and if we're doing something right, the enemy's going to accuse, and the enemy's going to confuse, but the cool thing is God will not lose. And so we read in verse 30, and when Paul wanted to go into the people, the disciples would not allow him. Then some of the officials of Asia who were his friends sent to him pleading that he would not venture into the theater, some therefore cried one thing and some another, for the assembly was confused, and most of them did not know why they had come together. <laughs> That's funny, huh? And then they drew Alexander out of the multitude, the Jews putting him forward, and Alexander motioned with his hand and wanted to make his defense to the people, but when they found out he was a Jew, all with one voice, check this out, cried out for about two hours, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. Imagine that for two hours, over and over and over again, trying to convince themselves that the lie was true. And so we read in verse 35, And when the city clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, what man is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is temple guardian of the great goddess Diana and of the image which fell down from Zeus? Therefore, since these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rashly. For you have brought these men here who are neither robbers of temples nor blasphemers of your goddess. Therefore, if Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a case against anyone, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you have any other inquiry to make, it shall be determined in the lawful assembly. For we are in danger of being called in question for today's uproar. There being no reason which we may give to account for this disorderly gathering. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. Now it's interesting. Some people say that Luke was actually making a case for the fact that Christians were good citizens. Because eventually what you're going to find out in church history is the Christians were persecuted. But when you read the Bible in Romans chapter 13, God calls Christians to be submissive to the government. I mean, here we read the way that it all went down and God ended up protecting Paul through his friends, through his loved ones, through the law. Ultimately, it was the Lord. And when the enemy comes against us, like I said earlier, he can accuse and he can confuse, but God will not lose. And Paul here, being sensitive to the Holy Spirit, he knew, I'm not to go in. This time, he didn't go in. Other times, maybe he would. We all have to be led by the Lord. But what you find is that even though the enemy does his thing, how God is able to use it for good. Because it's interesting how Paul sent these guys away, and then he said he stayed in Asia for a while. And who knows, maybe he was planning on staying longer. And God said, nope. It's time to go. And that's what ends up happening. God will use even the things that the enemy throws our way. And like we read in Romans eight twenty eight, he works all things together for good to those who love God and who are the called according to his purpose. We see here how God here leads our lives. It's interesting earlier. We read this throughout the book of Acts. You guys have how many of you here have read the book of Acts? You read it? Uh, The book of facts, right? The book of what God has done by his church, by his Holy Spirit. How many times did Paul get kicked out of a city? How many times, man? Over and over and over again. And what did he do? He just went to the next one, huh? He went to the next one and he preached the word of God. I was reading in my devotions the other day of one of those times when he was in Antioch of Pisidia And, you know, they, again, stirred up all the commotion and all the riot and all the stuff. And they asked him to leave. And eventually the day came when they were expelled by the leaders of the city. And so they just shook off the dust and they simply went to the next city. They weren't bombed out. They were called out. And that's what God does. And it's so cool when you read in Acts 13, 52, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. I mean, you know what that is, you guys? That is someone who was laser focused on God. Enemy might come against you. There might be 24,000 people against you. It doesn't even matter. Because if God is for us, who can be against us, right? And when, you know, you sometimes you talk to Christians and of course we need to be compassionate with one another, and they're all like, woe is me. They're like a spiritual Eeyore, you know. It's kind of like, and it's like, like John was talking today, man. Joy, joy, because God's on our side. You know, and I know, and even like today in our ministry meeting, we're going to see even some of the, the toughest things that you could ever experience in life, God will use for good. It's amazing to me how someone could fall down And then the whole church comes back to pick them up and help them learn to walk again. And then next thing you know, they're running. Next thing you know, they're flying because God is able to take Genesis 50, 20 with the enemy intended for evil and use it for good, right? And so in this whole thing, now we're reading about it and now God is ministering to you. And maybe some of you here today Maybe you're reading the story and it doesn't almost, I mean, you're like, well, how could, you know, it's kind of a funny story. You know, we're learning about his travel plans to Europe and Rome and, you know, the whole riot there in and, and, and Ephesus. I mean, and yet when you really look at it, God can use this story to save your life. Because William Carey is a great example of someone who cared, so was Paul the Apostle, So are the people of this church. We care about you. We love you. The enemy hates you. God has a plan for your life, but so does the devil. Which plan will you follow? Will you give your heart to Christ? Today's the opportunity because when you get on his team, you can't lose, but you got to get rid of the sin. You can't live If you're living in sin, you got to choose Jesus. And like I pray for my kids and every day my family, protection, we saw that here, direction, we saw that here, and perfection. And what that means is that when you give your life to Christ, he washes away all your sins. Did you know that? All the crazy things that you've done that you're that you, you know, are guilty of in the past and even in the present and in the future, he washes them all away and he makes you perfect. And when God looks at you, even though we're knuckleheads and even though we fall short, he sees no sin. He makes you perfect because you're washed in the blood of Jesus. He died for you on a cross and rose again. Are you here today and you don't have that peace? You don't have that assurance? You don't have that relationship. Did you walk in here today with a heavy burden on your heart or maybe you didn't even want to come in. But now God's getting a hold of your heart and he's saying, listen, I love you and I have plans for you and not just plans for you but great plans for you. Great plans. Beautiful plans. Do you want that? Do you want that in this life and then in the life to come? All you got to do is today you give your life to Christ. And you say, yes, Jesus, I'm a sinner, and I need you to be my Savior. Lord, today I turn from my sins, and I want to trust in you to lead and guide my life. You do that today. You put your hand in his nail-scarred hand, and you watch what God will do. And so back to the perfect story as we have the musicians come forward we talked about this perfect man and this perfect woman picking up Santa Claus and then they got in an accident and then the question was who survived? Who survived the accident? And the answer is the woman. Okay? And you're wondering, well, why? Because number one, there's no perfect man. Number two, there's no Santa Claus. And number three, it makes perfect sense, the car accident. Wouldn't that be a woman driver? I'm just joking.